Blood Bond by Nick Bastin. Copyright 2019, Nick Bastin. Chapter 22 The Grave Gillespie walked slowly and thoughtfully back along the track, past the castle, past Strome Point, and turning right up Glenshira, he passed the graveyard that was soon to be Duncan's final resting place. It was getting dark by the time he found himself picking his way through the junk outside Elrig. He could see that the lights were on inside, and he found himself unexpectedly pleased to be back. The intensity of his afternoon had left him feeling drained, and now all he wanted to do was to sit and process everything that had happened. As he entered the hallway, he hung his coat on one of the pegs by the door. A radio played somewhere, its warm and friendly sound bringing the real world into this otherwise alien and strange place. He could hear Charlie singing along, rather flat, he thought, and he found it comforting. Entering the kitchen, he saw Nin sat at the table on his laptop while Charlie was putting away the detritus left over from breakfast. Nin peered over the top of his screen, his soft blue eyes boring into him. Ah, Gillespie, my man. How are you doing? Grab a seat and park yourself. I expect you've had quite the afternoon. Gillespie pulled out one of the green chairs and sat down, laying Fiona's bundle on the table in front of him. What's that? asked Charlie, turning around from the sink, a mug in each hand. I'm not sure. It's either a generous gift, a portentous omen, a death warrant, or just a dumb lump of metal. I can't decide. You tell me. Intrigued, Nin pushed away his computer and leant forward. Carefully unwrapping the bundle, he flicked the final corner of the blanket off to reveal the muted brushed steel that lay on its folds. Transferring his gaze from the sword to Gillespie, he asked, Did she give it to you? Aye, she did. Although why she did and what she expects me to do with it, I do not know. Charlie pulled up a chair and sat down across the table, carefully drying his fingers before running them over the wolf carved deep in the steel. Both he and Nin were clearly transfixed, exploring the various features of the weapon and swapping memories of Malcolm's exploits with it, the occasional notch from the blade's edge being hotly debated, with each recalling feats or foes that might have been responsible. This was the last thing that Gillespie needed to hear, and holding up his hands for them to stop, he took a deep breath and said, Look, she was very upset and emotional. She presses on me, I don't know why. She thinks I'm somehow going to win the choosing and ride to the rescue swinging her dead husband's mighty sword. But that just isn't going to happen. I hate this pressure, all these expectations of how I should feel and what I should do. I hate this place, this situation. I never chose to be in this position. And I can't bear the thought that people like poor old bloody Fiona think I'm somehow going to be able to do something to help them. Well, I think you should just pull yourself together and show a little gratitude, Nin said brusquely. Yes, yes, we all know about you being dragged here against your will, and yes, it's true. It's time to let go of that, focus on the here and now. This would be a generous gift to anyone, even the new chief, whoever they will be. The fact that she, who has so little, should choose to give it to you, who she doesn't even know, shows how important it was to her to do it. Don't you worry about the choosing, that'll take care of itself. You'll soon be on your way back to Antrim with a fine dust catcher for your wall and a few tall stories to tell. As for Fiona, she'll be okay. The clan hardship fund will kick in and help her out. What do you think we do with all the money we make from the gaming? Putting out his arm and squeezing Gillespie's shoulder, 
Lynn's voice softened back to his usual West Coast burr. So don't worry, her and Mara will be fine, honest. Gillespie shrugged, I guess, but it was still an emotional roller coaster of an afternoon. Yes, indeed, said Charlie, very sad but inevitable. It's really a relief after everything Duncan had been through. The burial is tomorrow. They're really keen to get a move on so that the new chief can be in position as soon as possible. And, just so you know, and interrupted, you are obviously required at the ceremony. You will not only be attending as a potential successor, but also as Duncan's last surviving blood relative. Consequently, there are a few things you probably need to know. They sat for the next few hours discussing what was going to happen and how Gillespie should conduct himself, only breaking to wolf down a meal of venison burgers sloppy with homemade tomato and chilli relish. Next morning, Gillespie woke to the sound of his phone tweeting birdsong at 8am. He groaned and swiped it silent, but did not dare to snooze. Instead, he showered and dressed, pinning the kilt with his new pin and wearing his new skin aslech and skin do. Finally ready, Gillespie picked up his sword and went down the stairs. Lynn was waiting in the hallway and chucked a banana at him for his breakfast before leading him out of the house. There was already a stream of figures coming down the glen dressed in their finest, Brilliant vermilion tartan kilts and cross-cut doublets, plaids, bonnets and stockings, a jangle of swords and other gear marked the temp of their pace as they headed down towards the Dulock. Gillespie, Nin and Charlie joined their growing ranks and as they neared their destination they could see that the gathering was already well advanced despite the early hour. The shores of the lock were ringed by clansmen and their families who were all proudly showing their colours. The men wearing kilts of red McNachton tartan, the women with tartan shawls pinned around their shoulders. A smattering of other clans were there too. Their tartans are clear indicators to who they were. Campbell's in their dark green and blue, McFarlane's in red and blue, the dark green with yellow stripe of the MacArthur's, and those were just the ones that Gillespie could readily identify. They had to push their way through the ever-growing ring of spectators just to get to the causeway. Here some heavily armed men had cleared a walkway through the crowd. As a Farquharson and clearly identified as such by the dark green tartan with red and yellow check that he was wearing, Charlie was not permitted to go further, and Nin and Gillespie left him chatting with some neighbours while they approached the graveside. Around the lip were some familiar faces. Bridge was there, and Jamie, who was leaning on a stick and clearly in considerable pain. Ian skulked a few rows back, but there was no sign of Kirsty or Alexander McNuchton of Albany. It was fortunate that they arrived when they did, as the crowd was still growing, and with all the jostling, tempers were beginning to rise. It then started to rain. After they had been there for a few minutes, Gillespie heard the sound of bagpipes in the distance. Every few seconds, the wind and rain snatched the sound away, but they were definitely getting closer. The crowd started to murmur, separating so that the funeral procession could pass down the causeway to the grave. At the head of the group was Ewan, dressed in a fine great kilt that was pinned at his left shoulder by a large silver brooch. He was flanked by Kirsty and Alexander. The pallbearers brought the coffin to the edge of the grave. It was a simple affair of woven willow branches, and the six burly clansmen were clearly untroubled by its weight. They all bowed their heads as a sole piper struck up Grey John McNuchton of Dunderarve's Lament, a well-known clan tune. Notes came slow and sombre at first, the tune evolving and unfolding as the piper picked up momentum. The assembled crowd were hushed as the tumble of grace notes poured from his fluttering fingers, the music reaching a crescendo of intensity. It drew the crowd together, 
unifying their emotions and cementing their shared identity. Duncan's death, the catalyst for this alchemy. The music stopped. All eyes now turned to Ewan. Raising his head and scanning the crowd, he said, We are here today to bury Duncan McNachton, Duncan the quick-witted, Duncan of the strong arm, Duncan of the computer chip, Duncan of the quake, and Duncan of the open door. Our chief, our leader, and our friend, Duncan, who led this great and ancient family for the past 50 years through thick and thin. We're here to lay him to rest with his father and grandfather and great-grandfather and so on back through the generations. Their bodies, bones and blood lie here, steeped in this soil, our soil, our land. They're intermingled with it and indivisible from it, as are we all. We now return him to this sweet soil that he may rest forever, between the mountains that sheltered him and the water that swept him away to the far side of the world, to adventures we can only dream of. Farewell, my friend. He nodded to the pool-bearers who lowed coffin while the piper played. The crowd listened to the notes as they rose up into the trees and were swept away by the wind and the rain. Two clansmen then brought up a large block of wood, like a chopping block, followed by a woman bearing a heavy-looking sledgehammer, its pale ash handle contrasting with its dark, forbidding head. As the rain poured down, Alexander McNachton of Albany stepped forward. He took the sledgehammer in his right hand and held it high in the air. The crowd was silent, expectant. Ewan drew a fine basket-hilted sword, turning it slowly so that the crowd could see. He then placed it on the block. No sooner had he done so than Alexander brought the hammer down with both hands, and with a clanging ring mashed and mangled the sword. Alexander then raised it up above his head before dropping it into the grave, shouting, Here with your sword to guard and protect you on your journey. Kirsty now stepped forward with a thin, expensive-looking laptop computer. She too placed it on the block before bringing down the hammer, splintering and smashing the machine into pieces. She picked up the tattered remains and cast them into the grave. Here with your window on the world and its wealth, the wealth that you funneled back to us over so many years. May it serve you on your journey and bring you all you need. It was Gillespie's turn. He tried to remember everything Nin and Charlie had told him as he stepped forward to the block. Ewan reached into his robes and produced a silver quake. Gillespie held it up to the crowd, the weight of their concentrated gaze fixed upon him in the silver cup. May this quake be ever brimful. May it bring you as much joy in death as it did in life. He put it down on the block and seized the haft of the hammer. It was slick with rain. As he raised it over his head, he prayed that his aim would not fail or his hand slip. With a shout, he brought it down. The soft silver crumpled under the crushing blow, releasing the spirit of the quake to serve Duncan in the afterlife, or so the tradition went. He looked down at his cousin's modest coffin, scattered with computer keys and wiring like so much confetti. He tossed down the quake. At that moment, a murmur rippled through the crowd. A roar of engines could be heard approaching, a cacophony of grinding metal and tyres slip-slapping over the muddy terrain. Gillespie couldn't see what was going on, but there was clearly a great unease sweeping through the mourners. The engine stopped, and the crowd parted to allow a green, blue-black robed figure to stalk along the causeway and up to the graveside. The man wore the three eagle feathers of a chief and was surrounded by a tail of thirty heavily-armed Dunyawassel. Among them, Gillespie spotted the blonde Campbell that they had met in Inverary the day before.
Nin muttered under his breath. McCallan Moore, what the hell is he doing here? It's outrageous. McCallan Moore nodded respectfully to Ewan, who was staring back at him wide-eyed and slack-jawed. This was clearly unexpected. McCallan Moore turned to contemplate the crowd for a moment and then looked into the grave. Reaching down, he picked up a stone, a jagged lump of flint which he held in the air between finger and thumb. Addressing the crowd, he said, Duncan Tarpey, some called you the stone in my shoe, a title you enjoyed, I believe. Well, here I am to return the favour. May this rock be ever under your foot, causing you pain and discomfort at every step until the end of time. And then he tossed it casually into the grave. He paused as if to drink in the crowd's shock and anger. Then, very slowly and deliberately, he walked back to the line of vehicles surrounded by his tail of men, who were jostled and pushed by the crowd, anger now ripping through them at the insult done to their dead chief. Whether it was the rain, the presence of so many heavily armed and dangerous Campbells, or the sheer effrontery of Macallan Moore, there was anger but no violence at the graveside. The rest of the ceremony was hurriedly completed, the grave filled in and the crowds dispersed back to their homes. As they were leaving, Nin's phone bleeped with an urgent message. Fishing it out of his sporran, he stared intently at the screen as his face was illuminated by its blue light. Charlie and Gillespie waited expectantly as he read the message on the screen. It's a message from Antura Du, with details of tomorrow's vote. And they've got a lovely picture of you too. He flashed the phone at Gillespie, who saw an old photo that looked like it had been taken from a social media post. Charlie grabbed the phone and immediately started taking the piss out of his terrible clothes and hair. God, just look at the spiel they've given you. Who writes this shite, I ask you? Nin grabbed the phone back and held it up to his face so that its camera could scan his retina to register him for the vote. He grunted with satisfaction as the screen chirped that he'd been successful. Do you get a vote? Gillespie asked Charlie as they started up the hill. Unfortunately not, or else I would definitely add a notch to your tally. As a Farkasan, I have no say, despite the fact that me and Yon Lump have been living together for five years and I pay all my clan dues. It's just the way it is. Of course, I could change my tartan, change my name and take the Black Tower, but I don't think my own folk would be too pleased about that. Just one of the many drawbacks of living in a feudal anachronism, really, he sighed, but with a twinkle in his eye. They were soon back at Elrig and stayed up late into the night, talking about the next day when Gillespie would be able to leave and when Nin and Charlie were going to visit him in Antrim. Chapter 23. The Best Laid Plans John Lamont washed his hands meticulously, rubbing the soap to and fro, front and back, over his long bony fingers, occasionally dropping the slippery bar into the white basin where it slithered and skated away from his pursuing grip. Having finally grasped in one hand, he tried to slosh water around the basin's bowl with the other to try and dislodge some of the streaks of blood that marbled the sink's sides. Blood he could handle, but he always found that the stench of viscera was much harder to shift, especially from under one's nails. After a long session working on a prisoner, it always took him hours before he felt comfortable that he'd expunged their odour sufficiently. Looking in the mirror, he wiped a suspicious-looking clot from the side of his face while shaping his brows with a damped finger. Satisfied that he was at last respectable, he dropped the pink-hued towel to the floor, kicking it into the corner for the staff to collect. He really wasn't paid enough to do this anymore. The thrill had gone out of it some years ago. Now it was just routine. Still, it got results and that was all that mattered. 
He returned to his study and picked up the phone to summon Alan Stewart, who scurried into the room and stood across the large partner's desk waiting for his orders. So that McNuchton bitch you picked up proved quite helpful, Lamont said. Apparently the choosing is tomorrow at midday. The moment is finally upon us. I think I may even enjoy it. According to her, and I don't think she was capable of lying by the end, there will be three candidates. Alexander McNuchton of Albany has seemingly come over from Jamaica and is representing the independent company, as well as their other overseas interests. He is a dangerous one, smart and dangerous, much too qualified to be their next chief, I fear. Next is that Kirsty McNuchton who runs the gaming operation. She's clever and tough too, but more than that, she is the key to their online empire. You must be careful with her. We'll need her alive if we're to take control of the business. Finally, there's some ingenue who's apparently been brought over from Ireland. His only qualification is that he's seemingly Duncan's last blood relative. I thought we'd sorted that problem when you'd squeezed the last gasp of life out of a young Oshan. But no matter, what's one more greenhorn? This one doesn't sound like he'll be too challenging. Besides, no one knows who he is and I don't expect he'll be much missed. So, am I to bring her back here unharmed? Alan's dark eyes were like pools of oil, expressionless and consuming of all light. Yes, either that or make sure you get the administrator access codes from her so we can take over their servers. Their security is tough, but once we have the codes, we'll be able to take it over in minutes and cut them off at the knees. Now we need to give McCullen Moore a call to make sure he's up to speed on the plan. Well, the bits he needs to know anyway. I gather that he caused a bit of a stir at the funeral. A perfect scene-setter, really. I can't wait to see the look on that pompous prick's face when he finally realises what's going on. Lamont allowed a prim little smile to flash across his lips as he picked up the phone. Chapter 24. The Choosing. Gillespie worked with a sore head than he had intended. Nin's heavy hand on the whiskey bottle had seen to that. He staggered downstairs to try and balance his system with coffee and breakfast. After munching his way through two bowls of cereal and most of a pot of coffee, he felt somewhat better, as long as he didn't turn his head too quickly. Nin was down next, looking paler than normal, and he sipped his coffee, avoiding all conversation. With no sign of Charlie by ten o'clock, Gillespie went back upstairs to have a shower and get dressed, slipping back into the clothes he'd worn the previous day. His shirt was not the freshest, but he didn't imagine anyone was going to mind. Even though he'd been dragged here against his will, now that the moment had arrived, he felt the need to front up, do his best. As he'd seen from Fiona and from many conversations with Nin and Charlie, this was a moment of critical importance to the clan. While he was going to disappear back to his life in Ireland in approximately 24 hours, they'd be stuck with the consequences of their choice for years. He tried to decide who he would have voted for out of Kirsty and Alexander if he'd been allowed a vote. Alexander seemed like a fine fellow, the very image of a Highlander, smart, strong, somewhat reserved but confident. He had clearly seen a lot, and there was nothing that was going to faze him. He was somewhat aloof and unapproachable, that could be just because Gillespie was a stranger and he was a little shy. Kirsty, on the other hand, he liked a lot. She was plenty tough enough and commanded respect whenever she opened her mouth. He'd also done a fantastic job on the gaming business, and this was now the financial foundation of the clan, far surpassing the security business that had been the clan's mainstay for several centuries. She was also very local and known by all. A hard choice. He picked up his sword and closed the door to his room behind him. Nin and Charlie were both outside, dressed in their finery. They climbed aboard the cat and were soon bumping around the corner at the bottom of Glenshira and towards Dundarav. 
The track was thick with people and vehicles streaming in the same direction. Having spent 10 minutes trying to find a parking space by the tower, Nin gave up and returned to the track, where he stuck the cat on a steep verge. Wandering back down with the crowds, they entered the outer ward and bumped right into Breach. She was sat at one of the tables having a coffee and enjoying the feeble sunlight that was trying to break through the clouds. She gave Gillespie a big hug, squeezing him slightly harder and for slightly longer than was strictly necessary. Not that Gillespie minded. They chatted about the previous day and the rudeness of McCallan Moore. All agreed that it had been beneath his dignity to act so pettily. As midday approached, the ward filled up with people until there was hardly room to breathe when latecomers had to jostle outside its walls. A large screen had been erected at one end and a number of video cameras had been mounted on the parapet of the wall. As the appointed hour arrived, a thunder flash was thrown from a window high up in the castle to hush the crowd and attract their attention. Ewan appeared at one of the large windows and spread his arms in welcome, raising his voice so that it could be heard. Welcome to an important day for us all, a critical day for us and our children, our hopes and dreams, our future together, our clan and its place in this ever-changing world. As you know, our beloved chief Duncan has passed. Now we must choose a worthy successor to help lead us and defend our birthright from any that would take it from us. For the first time, this vote is being webcast to clan members all around the world so that they can participate in the choosing. He nodded in the direction of the cameras. And so, I would like to start today by welcoming them and you to Dundarav, our ancient home. The Black Tower from which comes hospitality, hope and opportunity for our friends and wrath, vengeance and destruction for our enemies. Before you stands a choice, and for once I can say that it is a real choice. A choice of different paths. Each of the candidates brings special skills and strengths, and the future course that they will set will be very different. Only you can decide which path the clan should tread. As is tradition, I will read out the attributes of each candidate in turn. Once all have been announced, those who are registered to vote must make their choice. You can do this through the app on the clan intranet. I will now give those that have not registered a few moments to do so before I move to announcing the candidates. While they were waiting, the clan pipe band played a medley of stirring tunes. Gillespie recognised clan favourites, like Strong Stands the Black Tower, the Hall of the Red Banner and Gilchrist McNuchton's Salute. All guaranteed to fire up the most patriotic feelings with any self-respecting clansman. As the last drone fell silent, Ewan again raised his hands to quiet the crowd. Many of the assembled throng had been frantically logging into the clan intranet to register, holding up their phones and peering fixedly at them to match their retina print with that on the security system. Finally, all the phones disappeared and everyone's attention was focused on Ewan at the window. I will now introduce each of our candidates to you in turn. The first is Alexander of Albany, who has travelled all the way from Jamaica, where he commands our wonderful independent company. As many of you know, the independent company has had a tremendous period of success under his leadership. They have won security mandates with many respected and high-profile organisations, and they recently won a 10-year contract to provide security on all Sun Lover cruise ships, protecting holidaymakers from pirates and terrorism. Those of you who know Alexander know that he's hard-working, fair but resolute, he has a strong right arm and his prowess with the blade is well known and respected. During this speech, the large screen showed a loop of Alexander looking stern but approachable before cracking into a warm smile. A hearty round of applause went up from the crowd and a few whoops and shouts. Alexander's picture then disappeared to be replaced by Gillespie's mugshot. He shuddered. 
Charlie nudged him with a smile and Breach blew a kiss in his direction and gave a little fist pump. Our next candidate will not be known to many of you unless you've had the pleasure of meeting him during his stay at Dundarab in recent days. Gillespie hails from our cousins over the water in Antrim. He is Duncan's last blood relative and it was for this reason that Duncan brought him back to us. He felt it was important to offer the clan an outsider's perspective, someone who knows about the world beyond the Republic and our parochial ways, someone that can bring a new vision to the clan to preserve and promote us in the 21st century. Obviously, Gillespie has not grown up in the Republic, so its ways, our ways, are new and strange to him. But if he was thought capable by Duncan, then that should be all the endorsement you need. A polite smattering of applause went round the crowd, led enthusiastically by Nin, Charlie and Bridge, who also planted a kiss on Gillespie's cheek. Blushing, he stood and held up his hands in acknowledgement. Last, but by no means least, we have Kirsty McNachton, our local girl, who I cannot believe needs much introduction. As the clan's Yorlacher Digitach, she's one of our most important Dunya Wassel, and it's in her leadership of our digital gaming business where Kirsty has excelled. Since being appointed, she has rolled out more new gaming formats more quickly than ever before. She has doubled revenue and quadrupled profits. A skilled programmer, she's masterminded our position on the dark web and has contributed more to clan funds than anyone in our history. But she doesn't just live by the pixels, she's a firm friend and commanding leader in the real world too. He paused, letting his words sink in. The crowd cheered and shouted their support and approval. Gillespie could just see Kirsty through the crowd, standing by the door to the inner courtyard. She was looking uncharacteristically bashful, her face a bright crimson with embarrassment at all the vocal support. Having allowed the crowd to express its view in cheers and shouts, Ewan again raised his hands for quiet. Before the vote, I'm going to play a pibroch in memory of Duncan, who led us for so many years. When the last notes die away, you must make your choice within 30 seconds. The result will then be immediately displayed on the screen and through the intranet. Ranging the drones over his shoulder and filling the bag with breath, Ewan started to play. The notes came slowly and long, held with power and ornamented with a filigree of grace notes. Breach whispered in Gillespie's ear, it's the piper's lament for his master, very appropriate, but very long. The austere and challenging music held the crowd in silence, its power washing over them, the notes reverberating around the stone walls. Gillespie had never really listened to Pibroch, the classical music of the bagpipe. It was not easy listening, invariably long and requiring a focus that he struggled to find in an ordinary day. But today it transfixed him, the notes passing over and through him and the crowd, the tempo and complexity building and deepening, spinning, tumbling, gusting, flighting, skewering, pinning, cutting and biting. Time stopped and the world melted away. There was nothing left but the hypnotic progression of the music, its variations inexorably gaining complexity and momentum. It reached a crescendo of intensity that gripped his heart so tightly, but just as he thought he could bear no more, the music stopped. The crowd slowly awoke from the collective trance, and glassy-eyed, they fished out their phones to vote. All eyes turned to the big screen. After a brief pause, during which an animation of the Black Tower fluttered and rippled on the screen like a flag in the wind, the result was announced. Alexander of Albany first, with 42% of votes cast, Kirsty second with 36% and Gillespie last with 16%. The remaining 6% were undecided. The crowd burst into shouts and cheers, ululations at the result. Gillespie let out a sigh of relief. Never had he felt so happy to have failed so badly. Nin, Charlie and Bridge all grabbed him in a group hug. 
laughing and congratulating him for even getting 16% of the vote, far more than they had expected. He just felt relieved that it was now over. Duty had been done and honour more or less preserved. He could return to the crumbling eaves of his home and put some of the cash that Duncan had promised him to work. He looked across to where Kirsty had been standing. She was no longer there. He assumed she must have retreated to spare herself the embarrassment of being endlessly commiserated over. Alexander, on the other hand, was pushing through the crowd, arms raised above his head, punching the air with joy. He lost his bonnet and his wild dreadlocks bounced and swayed with his exuberant celebrations and that of the clan around him. He finally made it to the passageway and disappeared from view into the court of the fountain. A few minutes later, he materialised at Ewan's side at the window. Ewan greeted him warmly with much back-clapping and laughing. He must have been Ewan's choice too. The crowd spontaneously burst into a football-style chant of Albany, we love you, Albany, we do, that echoed and reverberated off the stonework. Gillespie smiled. Everyone seemed happy enough. He imagined some were sorry not to have Kirsty as their leader. But after the events of the previous day and the ominous threat that seemed to be moving towards them up the loch from Inverary, the clan had clearly decided that a strong military leader was what they needed. And they were probably right, much though he liked Kirsty. Alexander finally split from Ewan's embrace and turning to the crowd raised a hand for quiet. My dear clan, what an honour you have done me an honour which I will hold in my heart and for which I will be ever grateful. We all know that with leadership comes responsibility and that can be a heavy burden. But as I put my shoulders to this wheel, I promise you, and at that moment he reached into his shirt and pulled a short but wicked-looking knife from his oxter, the blade flashing in the weak sunlight. With every drop of my blood, in which he drew the blade across his palm, a thick red line immediately welling in its wake, that I will serve and protect this great family our clan, our lands, our ideas and our ideals, that I will help us forge a great future together for our children and our children's children, the children of Nechton, the children of the Black Tower. I hope in God, he shouted exultantly, and the crowd below erupted, shouting, I hope in God, at the top of their voices. They cheered him to the echo. Chapter 25 the Eagle's Feathers. Once the crowd had calmed, Ewan again raised his hand for quiet. Alexander McNachton, formerly of Albany, Jamaica, do you now accept the burden and responsibility of leading this clan, the children of Nechton the Great? Will you lead us from this day forward, stinting nothing and giving your life's blood to nurture and protect us, defending us and our land and homes from our enemies, whosoever they may be? I hope in God, said Alexander. So be it, you have been chosen by us to fight for us, to die for us if necessary. I hereby declare under the ancient and honourable law of Tanistry that you, Alexander McNachton, formerly of Albany, has been chosen by the clan, and henceforth will be known as Alexander McNachton of Dundarav, 36th Chief and Keeper of the Black Tower. He handed Alexander a large bunch of keys on a steel hoop and two eagle feathers, which Alexander added to the one he already carried in his bonnet. The ceremony over, Ewan closed the window, cutting him and Alexander off from view. Down in the courtyard, the clan pipe band started up a set of joyful jigs to get the party started. Gillespie wondered what was going to happen next when he saw Archie Beaton pushing his way towards him through the throng. After exchanging pleasantries, including being congratulated for a fine showing in the vote, 
Archie told him that he was required inside and that he should make his way to the Red Banner Hall. Nin volunteered to accompany him, and they wended their way through the boisterous crowd that was starting to make inroads into the hospitality on offer. Having climbed the steep stairs and arrived at the double doors to the hall, Gillespie and Nin waited until their knock was answered and they were permitted to enter. As the doors swung open, Alexander strode towards them and embraced Gillespie warmly. His engaging smile and friendly manner quite at odds with his previously rather dour and stern demeanour. Ushering them towards a pair of chairs near the fire, he motioned for them to sit. Gillespie noticed that Kirsty was there too, her face red and blotchy, particularly around the eyes. She composed herself and smiled at him in a slightly half-hearted manner. Gillespie immediately started congratulating Alexander on his victory. His enthusiasm was such that Alexander was quite taken aback, but gratefully acknowledged his thanks. Gillespie, I brought you here to apologise for the distress and trouble that you've been put to. Ewan has told me the whole story. But so be it, that is in the past now. I wanted to take this opportunity to speak with you, as we do not have much time. I think Ewan has already told you that as a loser, you are banished from clan territory for a year on pain of death. In your case, this seems excessive. However, rules are rules, and Kirsty is a different matter. We need to be fair, so both of you will have to leave. Kirsty, you know how much I regret doing this, but you also know that I did not make and cannot change the rules. I'm truly sorry that you have to leave. Kirsty nodded dumbly. Nin asked, so what is the deadline for them to be across the clan line? Midnight. After that, there'll be a bounty on both your heads for 365 days inclusive. But once that day has passed, I'll welcome you both back here with open arms. Alexander winked. He looked down at the unexpectedly refined gold watch on his wrist. By my reckoning, you have about nine hours to get out of Dodge, so I wouldn't hang around. Oh, and Kirsty, make sure you share the administrator passwords to the gaming sites before you leave. Can you give them to Ewan? I'm sure you understand. Kirsty nodded and they turned to go, descending the steep stairs and out of the dark doorway into the courtyard of the fountain. Nin left to find Charlie and Gillespie walked with Kirsty. They had to squeeze their way through the roiling crowd that was getting louder and more boisterous with every pint that was poured. The clan pipe band had now been replaced by a barrage of fiddlers who were showering the crowd with clouds of rosin as they ripped through reel after reel, propelled by thundering dance beats and a heavy bass backing track. Finally, they escaped onto the Strand and Kirsty wandered over to the gaming facility and punched in the entry code. Come on in. Take a look at my little empire before I had to leave it all behind. The walls were covered in whiteboards with algorithms and complicated-looking fractions scrawled on them in different coloured pens. The ranks of computers whirred away to themselves, processing who knew what. The server rooms are downstairs. We use heat exchangers out in the loft to keep it all cool. Not only cuts our fuel bill, but improves performance. Another one of my ideas, I might add. A sudden banging on the door interrupted her. Charlie and Nin were both standing on the step. Come on, let's get a move on, said Nin impatiently. We need to get out of here. Allowing the others to walk on, Kirsty paused for a minute. Her hand pressed to the door, as if the strain of saying goodbye was too much. Finally, reluctantly, she drew her hand away and left to walk up the path to the track. Blood Bond was written and recorded by Nick Bastin. 
The Reel of the Red Banner was written and performed by Ewan Henderson. This has been a Book of the Black Tower production.